Welcome, Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Dining Out. We have Craig DeCruz joining us. Craig, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Parsa. How, how about yourself? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. It's a sunny day for once in Vancouver, and I'm thrilled about it. Uh, where are you joining us from today? Uh, I'm in Calgary, Alberta. Um, we got Vancouver weather. It's cloudy and raining over here. <laughs> you were at the Stampede? <laughs> Uh, no, I was actually in Toronto visiting family, so I uh, bypassed the whole Stampede stuff, which is normally the game plan for us, you know, being, uh, I've lived in Calgary for over 30 years now, and everyone's kind of, that's lived here a while, is stampeded out. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. So for the viewers and listeners, uh, you know, listen on, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, who are you, sort of how'd you get started, um, Calgary, Toronto, what you been up to? Sure. So um, I've lived in Calgary since I was nine years old. Uh, we moved from uh, Toronto when I was little. Um, my background is I was a chef for the last, uh, or for 23 years. And um, I, I worked in the restaurant industry all over Canada and North America. Um, and then I uh, became an investor. We do uh, uh, angel investing and uh, seed and pre-seed round investing with uh, small tech startups. Uh, the company we run is called um, uh, Inverted Ventures. And uh, we run half of the company out of Calgary and the other half we have incorporated in the Cayman Islands. Um, and uh, yeah, my background is that we've, you know, just been looking at all types of new tech companies and companies that are doing cool things to, to change the human experience. And Dine is one of those. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, you know, you're one of our investors as well. And we're always really appreciative of your uh, mentorship and tutelage. Um, so as a chef, I mean, you probably know how to cook, but if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Wow. Um, chicken wings. Chicken <laughs> like wings. Wings. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of like, it's, it's one of my favorite foods in terms of, um, you know, just eating with your hands. I love eating with your hands. I like getting messy. Um, but it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of a, a food that you bond with people and, you know, you go out and have, you know, drinks with the guys or drinks with, you know, the, the spouses and, um, you know, have a few wings. I've, I've always enjoyed those. If I was going to have a fancy meal for the rest of my life, um, it would probably be, um, that's a really hard one. I'd probably have something like, you know, braised beef short rib or something like that, you know, with a mm. really nice whipped potato or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so do you think that, like, one of those dishes is sort of frowned upon by by your industry and one of them is, like, approved? Um, I would say the chicken wings are the most improved, <laughs> are approved <laughs> by the industry. You know, the, the, the one thing about chefs that we all joke about is, you know, we cook this amazing food for people every day. You know, we're, we're doing, you know, filet mignon and foie gras and lobster. And after we're done cooking, we all go to the bar. We grab a jug of beer, have nachos and chicken wings and end our day. You know, like we cook all this great food and just eat garbage after. And that's kind of, <laughs> that's the way it is. I think that if, if you were to ask any chef what would be one of their favorite foods, it would easily be something from a bar. Yeah. And yeah. so sort of along that path, sort of what's one sort of common myth about uh, restaurants and restaurateurs that uh, people don't really know about? Uh, I would say one myth would be that, you know, you make a lot of money. 
Um, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, a lot of people think that, okay, if you own, you know, one or two restaurants or three restaurants that you're rich, right? Um, the restaurant industry is a hard industry. It's a grind all day, every day. Um, you're, you're fighting 15 different fires every day and then still making a minimal profit at the end. So I think that that's one of the misconceptions of the industry. Also, another misconception of the industry, I feel, is that it's easy. People just think, you know, well, I have a little extra money or, you know, I, I, I came into money and I did this. Let's open a restaurant because, you know, um, I make food that my family tells me is good. Well, it's not the same. It's such a hard industry to get in. Um, but I feel personally that it's a little too easy to get into, um, that it's one of those things that anybody, if as long as you have money, can get into it. But if you have money, you can't open up a dentist's office. You need to be a licensed dentist or doctor and have all these criteria. So why is it any different, you know, for the restaurant industry, anybody can get in. And for a lot of the times, a lot of people shouldn't get in because it is um, hard and you, a lot of people lose money. And so are there sort of some key lessons you learned over your career as a restaurateur that helped you sort of stay above that, um, you know, bankruptcy line in some way? Yeah, it's all about management you have to treat it like a business exactly what it is i think a lot of people fall in love with it and you know want to have this place where um you know you can get caught up in it where you know you're, you're having friends come all the time and family and you don't necessarily want to charge them full price and you know there's all these things but you're you're running really tight margins so the more the more free meals you're giving out to friends and family the less money you're you're making on the margins on anything that your guests come and any extra people that come in, like every seat that's in that restaurant is dollars, right? Each seat is worth, you know, 10 to $15,000 a year. So, or if not more, depending on the restaurant. So, you know, if you have someone or people that are there getting free meals or whatever, it, it, it's tough. So I think that one of the big things that I've learned was treat it like a business, you know, yeah, you can, help people out, give people meals, all that type of stuff. No problem. But you have to treat it like you're, you're penny pinching. And I think a lot of the good restaurateurs are the ones that are considered the cheap restaurateurs. They're, they're very much money driven in a way, but you have to be, it's, it's, it's your business, it's your livelihood. That's what um, is going to pay your mortgage. That's what's going to pay the people in your industry, like the people in your restaurant that you're working or that are working for you. You have to make sure you have, the weight of them on your shoulders as well, because you need to make sure that they're able to pay their bills and that um, they're happy. So it's a, it's a, it's a very big circle that you need to be aware of when you own a restaurant. And sort of, I want to hear more about how do you transition from uh, that sort of chef and doing a lot of cooking to that more managerial side? What's that process looking like? Okay. So I, I would say that, you know, when you're, when you're starting off, I mean, I, I kind of knew, since I was about 10 years old that I wanted to be a chef. That was kind of one of those things. I always enjoyed cooking. My family really loves food. My mom was a great, great cook. Um, you know, my grandma, my aunts, everybody was really great cooks and food was always a central part of our life. Every party, every day, whatever it was, every family get together, there was food and it was always good. So I always wanted to I always loved cooking and helping my mom out in the kitchen. So I said, you know what? I'm going to be a chef. I think I'm going to do that. And, um, you know, as you get in, you just want to cook. 
right? So you go, you go to cooking school and you're learning how to, you know, make all these dishes and create these recipes and create your own menus. And then you get into the industry and all of that's kind of shut down and you're just cooking. You are just making, um, you know, you're cleaning vegetables and you're chopping stuff and that's about it. But I think that one of the big things is that uh, when you start moving up the ranks, as you start progressing and getting promoted and getting more responsibilities in the kitchen, um, you actually uh, end up cooking less. Mm -hmm. So the, the higher you get, the less you cook because you are more of a manager, you are overseeing. You can't be there um, necessarily making a soup and not keeping an eye on your team. Um, and then when, you know, you become the executive chef, you don't really do much cooking anymore. Um, you you don't necessarily get hired on what you can cook. You get hired on how, how do you control numbers? How do you manage a team? How do you build a team? How do you keep your team? Um, you know, how do you keep your labor in check? How are, how are you in a managerial role? So um, the transition for me was relatively easy. I'm pretty good with numbers, always have been. My backup is, you know, when I was doing the cooking school and stuff like that was I was going to be an accountant if I wasn't going to be a chef because I'm very numbers driven and very focused on numbers. So I kind of knew that I could step into that role and figure out food costing and how to control labor and how to, um, you know, look at the P&L sheets and things like that, do those things. So that was a big transition um, where I didn't get to do what I really loved doing, which was cooking. And then I got to do something that I liked doing, which was the numbers. But uh, as as a leader, I always found it that, you know, I would I would tell my higher ups, my bosses that like as the chef, I want to do both. I will get your numbers fixed and I'll do everything that you need to do. But I need to be on the floor. Personally, I need to be motivated by being able to cook and to be able to do that. So I always juggled those two. I felt really well was that I would make sure that I'd have a couple days a week that I could be on the floor. And the other time I would, you know, do some longer days just to make sure I could get all the numbers and do the meetings and do all those things. And so do you feel that it's sort of the duty of every sort of executive type chef to still have some time spent in the, on the floor cooking and some time uh, balanced in managerial, or should you, you know, choose one and try to stick to and do what, do what you do best? Um, I would say do both. I think it's in the best interest of any leader. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, whether you're a chef or whatever. I think if you're if you're a leader and you have people that are, let's say, on the front lines doing, um, you know, the work and, 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 and getting things done, um, as the leader, I always think that you should know what's going on. Yes, you have you know, other managers, um, you know, operational managers, whatever it may be in, in the kitchen, it's, you know, the sous chef or a chef de partie or whatever that are running things. But as the leader, as the chef, you should kind of know what everyone's doing at all times um, and be able to work on the floor with them. Um, <laughs> I can tell you coming up, I'd be on the line and we would have chefs that you would see them come on the line and you go, oh, no, because they would just come on and screw everything up. And you would, it's, it's a very militaristic, regimented society in the kitchen. So you would just go, yes, chef, everything's great. Everything's great. And then they would, you know, do their couple dishes, act like they did great. We would tell them they did great and they'd leave and we'd go, okay, replayed it. We've got to get this back done the right way because 
they just didn't know what was going on. I appreciate that they tried to help, but I never wanted to be that guy. I never wanted to be the chef that comes on the line or goes on the floor and they're like, okay, here we go. I wanted them to go, oh, sweet. We're going to have some help and everything's going to be great now that chef's here. So that's the way I look at it. I think all leaders, including chefs, need to be on the floor. Um, not all the time because it's not feasible. Some of the time just to be there and know what's going on. Yes. And sort of, you know, in the ideal world, if you had to really just, you know, pick one, would you want to be on the floor or are you really the numbers guy, you know, leading the, the, the paywalls? If I could pick one, I'd be on the yeah. floor. I love, I love cooking. I love every aspect of cooking. A lot of people don't like, you know, like the cutting and clipping of stuff, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, I have to peel carrots and I have to dice potatoes and I have to do, I love that oh, stuff. Yeah. That's where I'm in the zone. If, if I need to de-stress, I'll cook. Oh, that's the same with me. I will, <laughs> yeah. right? I'll just take the time to do it because it's in a way for me, it's, it, you don't have to think much, but it's, it's the movement of hands. I'm not sitting there, you know, stewing on something. I'm, I'm there just cooking, doing my thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, yeah. you know, you started 20 some odd years ago in the sort of chef space. Um, a lot of the restaurateurs who are still acting as restaurateurs are facing a lot of troubles from COVID. And, you know, that's been a big, a big blow to the whole industry with like a million restaurants going bankrupt and all those families being affected. <laughs> Talk about, you know, how the pandemic affected, yeah. you know, your uh, business, your industry, and how you've seen it sort of uh, change the way the restaurants operate. Uh, I can say that the way it, it changed the industry was it made an already resilient industry much more resilient. Um, people had to grind and figure out where you just didn't make it. And like you said, a million people didn't make it to no fault of their own. Um, some it might have been they just didn't want to change and go the route of, let's say, using delivery apps and things like that. But there was a way of if you have a freestanding restaurant and you can get food out the door, find a way to do it if there's no customers coming in the door. Um, I think a lot of people did that. Um, the one thing I think that changed the industry during COVID was and, and this is, you know, in the restaurant industry, especially because it was one of the hardest hit, I guess, by this labor shortage and things like that, was that people in a way figured out their worth. Um, and I think that's the big thing, you know, you hear about the great resignation and people make it sound like it's a bad thing. I I personally do not think it's a, it's a bad thing. I think it's actually a pretty good thing that the workers the working class have figured out their worth and won't settle for less. If you can do something else and make, you know, a little less money or even a little more money um, and not have to deal with some of the um, bad things that are in the restaurant industry, um, then why not do it? I think this is going to fundamentally change the aspect of how kitchens are run, how restaurants are run. Um, I can tell you that, the, the industry was already changing before COVID um, where you can't have guys like Gordon Ramsay yelling and throwing pots and pans and things like that at you. That's how I grew up <laughs> in the kitchens and it's not a fun yeah. place. And it was one of those things that like all the chefs in Calgary now that I grew up with um, where, where we were apprentices together and, and came through the ranks together. Um, we said, we're never going to be those guys. 
like let's deal with it now because we want to build our industry we want to build our resume and be good chefs but we never want to be those guys yeah. we just